made it to Friday. Uh, unfortunately, March Madness is still not as fun for us Cats fans, but uh, we almost got to see Duke get taken out. Um, we got to at least see Gonzaga go down. I hated Coach K just, like, raising his hands in celebration at the end of the game last <laughs> night. Like, show some class. <laughs> yeah, how dare you celebrate? <laughs> oh, geez. All right, well, let's, uh, let's first cover some of the sponsors that we have for today's episode, and then we'll dive on in. Yeah, today's sponsors, uh, same as last few weeks for Friday updates. So, as always, we want to thank our sponsors for supporting us. That's KY Innovation in Bolt today. Uh, KY Innovation, as always, doing some great work um, with innovators, with entrepreneurs um, from the state, and really bridging that gap between um, the state's programs and the people making a difference on the ground in the state. And then Bolt Marketing. Bolt does a lot of great work, specifically around websites, um, and they're, they're launching some new um, new endeavors as well into video, social media with some partnerships. Um, so they're becoming an all-around marketing service that entrepreneurs can use to focus on their business and not promoting themselves. Uh, so Bold Marketing, Kentucky Innovation, thanks again for your support. Beautiful. Well, let's dive into some of these stories. Uh, the first one that we've come across is uh, some stuff going on in the NFT and Metaverse and Web3 space. Uh, everyone's heard of the Board Ape Yacht Club. It's that NFT project with all the different uh, ape-looking creatures. Uh, the creator has just raised $450 million to build an NFT metaverse at a, at a $4 billion valuation, which is just mind-blowing almost. So uh, what are your guys' thoughts on this? What's, give, us, give us a quick rundown on what's going on here. Well, I mean, essentially what's going on here is A16Z and several other VCs have given them money to essentially create a gaming studio. What they're wanting to do is take this money $4 billion or the $450 million and build essentially a metaverse, a gaming metaverse for people to come experience the Board 8 Yacht, Board 8 Yacht Club and other NFTs within this space. Um, so it's a huge project. Um, it's questionable for me uh, why people would want to be a part of this metaverse uh, and what Board 8 Yacht Club um, has shown that they're capable of doing the metaverse space all they've done is release artwork and build an ip roster and they've only got like forty thousand people that have ever interacted with their business because their nfts are so expensive so there's like this upper enchilade of tech of royalty and wealthy people that own their nfts so it's not like they're going to be able to build a mass audience off their nfts so these these vcs are banking on the fact that they're going to be able to build a metaverse product that so many people across the world are going to want to participate in. I just don't see that happening. Uh, they don't have any experience in that. Uh, they're going to have to hire that from scratch. So they're essentially raising money and then saying, we're going to change our business model and go do something completely different because to date, all they've been doing is building IP around these NFTs. Um, so I don't know. It's, it's confusing. I think this whole space is uh, largely a, a lot of a bubble, but um, it's, it's interesting. Nate, what yeah. do you think? I think uh, Yuga Labs. Yuga, how you pronounce it? Yeah, sure. Let's go with that. I, I think they've made some interesting moves. I mean, they so they created Board of Yacht Clubs and they've acquired CryptoPunks and MeBits. Um, so they're they're trying to consolidate, you know, these very uh, well known and you know very high priced um, pieces of IP in, in the NFT space. And I think they're making interesting moves in that sense where it, it feels a little bit like they're becoming 
um, a big tech company, um, you know, focused on Web3. And in that sense, it it feels like it's it's going well. But I agree with what you were saying, Evan. Like, not that many people, have, even with that, interacted with with their content. And at the end of the day, still the, those three things, besides a little bit of utility here and there, are just pictures. And I like the idea of like a, a gaming ecosystem where you can be an avatar of your NFT. You can, it seems like you can upload other NFT projects so other people can get involved and you have all these characters in there. That kind of makes sense, but that doesn't even necessarily feel Web3 to me. That just feels like I could create an avatar or import an avatar, which stuff like that has already existed. So I'm, I'm just overall on this idea of where NFTs are a group of pictures, however many, a thousand, 10,000, whatever it is, and like that, in and of itself, that's the utility. I, I've kind of gone downhill on that, but the Web3 to me that's interesting is like when NFTs are not necessarily art, but built for utility from the start. Yeah, the thing that kind of stood out to me about this article that was talking about it is they're trying to build uh, the the web build Web3 in a way that's interoperable. So I think that's kind of like the the holy grail keyword of Web3 altogether is like building this metaverse platform where Again, it's interoperable to where you can interact across different platforms with all of your different NFT assets in this one video game. So I still am a little bit skeptical of it. I don't think I even really fully grasp, you know, the whole concept behind NFTs and interoperability and what this metaverse is actually going to look like. I think there's still a lot of speculation about it. And I, I agree with that. And I think this is kind of a big bubble right now. Uh, the best description I've heard of the metaverse and the one that I'm kind of sticking with for now is that you know, it's a point in time rather than an actual thing. It's a point in time when our digital lives become, you know, we interact more in our digital lives than we do in our physical lives. Like we conduct business on it with our digital identities. We, you know, all of our assets are digitized at this point. That's what I see as the metaverse. I don't necessarily see, I don't know, whatever this kind of pie in the sky metaverse reality that a lot of these uh, NFT and Web3 projects seem to be pitching. Yeah, I... Uh... Funny enough, I was listening to the Bill Simmons podcast, which is usually about sports, but he had a tech guy on there and he had an interesting argument that like the metaverse and the internet are the same things. What we think of as the metaverse is just kind of going to be, or might be a natural evolution of the internet. When it started, everything yeah. was text. Games were text. You would have to type, go left, go right. Then it became 2D, then it was 3D. Now there's these immersive games and VR, like technology just gets better, you know, how is the metaverse going to be any different than just that continued evolution that we're already seeing? I like that. I like that a lot. I think it's just a different way of interacting with content online, essentially. And mm -hmm. it, it kind of changes the protocols of who owns what and how things are, you know, run on the back end. But other than that, I, I agree. It's just an evolution of the internet. Cool. Well, we'll move on from that story. Um, next story here is that uh, Uber and New York City taxis are now cooperating. They're not feuding like they used to be. <laughs> Evan, you want to give us the rundown on the story and what's going on with uh, Uber and taxis? Yeah, it can be real quick. So essentially, Uber is going to start integrating with the existing taxi technology that uh, New York City cabs are using. Um, they're having a problem with shortage of drivers, and they just want to increase that supply of drivers in the market to drive you know prices down and make sure that everybody can get rides that needs rides. Uh, I, I always saw this happening. Um, I think that the brands of these New York taxis were never going to go away. 
Uh, I think they had so many drivers and people were so used to using them in the city that, you know, Uber is going to have to figure out some way to integrate at some point. And the Uber or the cab companies, rather, were going to have to figure out how to integrate with Uber in order to keep their businesses alive. So this was just natural. I think Uber always knew this was going to happen in markets and they were just, you know, holding out. The New York City cab companies were holding out because other markets, the same thing has happened around the world and uh, overseas internationally. So um, this is just a unique update. Uh, not a whole lot more to talk about beyond that, but what are y'all's opinions on that? I think there, there's two interesting pieces here um, that I think about, and that's how is this going to impact pricing for both cabs and Ubers? And then the, the piece of like the value of a, a New York City cab medallion. Um, on the pricing side, uh, in, in Chicago, we have the same app that it looks like they're integrating with called Curb. Um, which it's not nearly as good of an app as Uber. The UX is horrible, but you can call a taxi like you can call an Uber. And the pricing is usually like a third to a half of what the cost of an Uber is on the Curb app. Um, so if you just take all that supply, bring it over to Uber, does Uber's pricing go down, cab's pricing goes up a little bit, so they're in line. Um, that's just, that's an interesting kind of consumer um, outcome that I'd be interested to see that, how that plays out. The other side, specifically in New York City, is is the idea of the medallion, which is basically like the business license that the taxi needs to operate. Before Uber became big, taxi drivers were paying like over a million dollars for this medallion just so they could operate one taxi. It was such an inflated market. People were taking out loans, leveraging everything they owned to be able to operate a taxi. And then Uber showed up and obviously that just crashed to the ground. Um, if it's easier to request taxis and consumer habit starts to shift a little bit back towards that, what does that look like? You know, I, just from that marketplace dynamic, I think that's super interesting. Yeah, I think one thing that I'm pretty sure I saw, I was looking for it in this article before actually mentioning it. Somebody correct me if I'm wrong, but I thought I saw that <clears throat> Uber drivers will now be able to make the minimum fare that taxi drivers were making. So it kind of okay. is going to be this like equilibrium. In the market, it seems like um, I'm wondering if there will be any like second order consequences with that, with the uh, kind of guaranteeing a, a minimum fare. I think that's obviously a good thing. Um, mm -hmm. Hopefully that'll balance out these. I feel like here recently, ever since COVID, uh, ride fares have been pretty volatile in terms of you know not having enough drivers to do that. So I think one, this is adding more drivers into the the overall market for, for Uber. And then two, it's going to guarantee them a minimum fare. So it seems like a win-win kind of all the way around. All right, well, let's uh, let's move on to this last story. And this last story is one that's a little closer to home. So we're excited to, to talk about an entrepreneur that we've actually had on the podcast. So if you've been following Middle Tech for a long time, I don't know how many years ago, uh, Demetrius Gray came on the podcast. It's probably been at least two, two or three. Two or three. Um, so one of our uh, OGs, one of our OG episodes, uh, OG entrepreneurs, Demetrius Gray, who is a Louisville entrepreneur. Uh, he is the founder and CEO of WeatherCheck, uh, has now launched a new fintech platform called Captain. Um, and man, I, after reading the article, they they published an article about it in TechCrunch. So this is a pretty big deal. Um, and I'm, I'm ex really excited for Demetrius. This sounds like a really awesome company that they've launched. So uh, one of you guys want to give us a quick rundown on what Captain is doing and uh, why it seems so important? Yeah. So the after like massive weather events like a tornado or a hurricane or hail, you know, there's damage to people's homes. 
and you have to claim that on your insurance and get a quote on how to fix that. And then you go through this long process working with contractors to fix it. And those contractors, typically they interface with the, with the insurance company. And that's a long process. And it's really hard on the contractor. It's hard on the homeowner. And the insurance company is just kind of sitting in the middle, holding things up, holding those funds. And so what captains come along and done is they're giving the, the money advances to the contractor. So basically cash advances after a consumer goes through captain's user experience and then the job can be done as soon as the contractor is able to because they've got money in hand up front they can do the job versus have to wait and so contractors were in this really bad position financially of waiting on money all the time after a natural disaster when people just need to get their lives back on track as soon as possible so they basically raised four million dollars for the business and they raised a hundred million dollars for this um, uh, loaning vehicle, uh, the cash advance side of the business. So, uh, you know, really cool model. Demetrius knows a lot about this. His, most of his career has been in um, weather and meteorology related fields as far as contractors go. So he's worked on roofing. He did weather check, which was weather data being sold to roofing companies and insurance companies. Um, and now he's kind of blended all that together into captain. And it seems like uh, an awesome product. It makes a ton of sense on why the market would need it. So that's exciting. And they're based, I did, I, I did see in the article, they're based out of San Francisco. Yeah, I saw that too. Is he still in Louisville or is he in SF now? I don't know that. I heard he's in SF. Yeah, we. I think the last time we saw him was at that Endeavor event and he yeah. had kind of hinted. Uh, another point of the story is that they've been building in stealth since May of 2021. So we're excited that that team is finally getting to show what they've been building and come out and be public about it. Um, Evan, I kind of want you to, to hit on something specific here, and that is just this explosion that we've seen in these fintech platforms that are really vertically integrated for a specific type of user. Um, so maybe talk just a little bit about what you've seen building Simba in this space and then why you think there's such an explosion of these type of companies. You're like, Why is this so important to have these, these fintech features uh, being built into platforms like this? Yeah. So fintech is like the next phase of the internet. You know, you can say that Web3 is, but there's an in-between phase that will happen before Web3 and it's fintech. And so to date, the internet uh, really hasn't ever integrated with banks. You know, the banks have always lived outside of the internet. Stripe was the very first company to really come along and effectively bring payments and banking and fintech to the mass consumers by giving that ability to normal businesses like software companies or Shopify, whatever it might be, to accept payments immediately on the internet. And what's happened is it's gone uh, a step further, which now banks are just directly integrating with businesses through APIs. And so if you want to open a bank or create bank-like features, before you had to go to a bank, convince them to open up their APIs to you as an individual company, and then you had to go through this really long process of dealing with their tech team and your tech team coming together to build a product. Well, what's happened is the smart banks that got out ahead, out ahead of this trend just straight up integrated with what are called banking as a service providers and allowing their bank accounts, their lending tools, their onboarding experiences, their compliance, all of that has become APIs. And then if you're wanting to build a business that has banking features like Simba, then you just integrate with those APIs versus the, the bank's themselves and you interface with those businesses. And so what's happening is 
banking is turning into APIs, and those APIs are powering businesses' user experiences for everyday consumers. And so anytime you use uh, Robinhood, you use um, whenever you log into an app and it asks you to connect your bank account and you use Plaid, like those apps are using those APIs. And that totally changed the tech space. And now it's brought banking into any niche industry. And so every niche industry from this point on is going to have its own bank or many banks providing services to those unique users. The large banks can't serve every little niche. And so what they said was, hey, I'm going to open up my APIs so I can serve every niche and everybody else is going to build those niche products for us. At the end of the day, for instance, when Simba starts issuing bank accounts, our customers might not know they're banking with, let's say, uh, Chase, but their bank accounts live in Chase's business, but they don't know that. We might be using Chase's bank APIs. And so it's just a really unique space. Um, FinTech is probably the hottest space in the world right now. Um, and it's not going to be going away anytime soon. We're just in the very beginnings of it. And what will happen, I think, is, again, FinTech's the next wave, the next platform of the Internet. And then that'll naturally transition us into uh, Web3 and crypto. And so it is the middle. It is what brings us to crypto. So crypto can't happen without the FinTech movement happening first. Mm. So is the hottest thing in the world right now as far as what's happening in technology. Yeah, well, that's super exciting. We're really excited to see Demetrius diving into that. And obviously, you're deep in the space now as well with Simba. So uh, I just think it's something that anybody listening to this, you should be paying attention to because there's so much going on in the space. And if you just start listening and looking at some of these fundraising rounds, these fintech companies are raising, it's, it's absurd. Um, so, okay, well, wrapping up those stories, uh, some episodes that we've got coming out here in the next week. Nate, tell us about the weekend thoughts that we have coming out tomorrow. Yeah, weekend thoughts for tomorrow uh, is about ourselves. It's about how we operate middle tech, um, some of the goals that we're striving for, some of the challenges we face, uh, and the company behind the podcast that you listen to. So I'm excited to get that one out there. Awesome. Yeah, that's exciting. Uh, and then on Monday, we have a middle tech episode coming out with Louisville entrepreneur Natalia Bishop. Uh, so Natalia is a Latina female founder. Uh, so we're, we're trying to get some different perspectives of founders that might not look like us, but have had you know, great success in this region, building companies, uh, building co-working spaces, and now in Natalia's case, actually joining a VC fund uh, to go out and deploy capital in this region to underrepresented founders. So awesome episode coming out with her on Monday. Other than that, I think that's all we've got. Anything else you guys can think of? Awesome. All right. Well, everyone have a great weekend. Thank you guys for tuning in. We'll see you next week. Yep. See y'all.